I'll turn this podcast right around. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Gene Zuber. It's 10 below, my car won't start, and I'm not even mad. Ben Sherman. Uh, it's 35 degrees, and I'm also cold, but not quite as cold. <laughs> Andrew Madsen. 25 in Salt Lake City. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. Last week, it was like 70-something degrees where I was at, so very nice. So uh, this week, we're going to be talking to uh, Andrew. Uh, he's kind of our guest, I guess. Uh, we're going to be talking about OS X programming. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting after uh, learning some of the techniques and tools for uh, building things for iOS. I haven't really looked at what's different with uh, OS X. You want to kind of uh, get us started on some of the things that we have to know or do differently? Sure. Well, I think the f- the first thing to know is that iOS and OS X are sort of siblings, or you might might even say that iOS is like OS X's kid, but iOS was obviously Apple's chance to sort of do over things that they wanted to do differently um, without the, the whole legacy baggage that kept them from doing that on OS X. So in many ways, iOS is the more modern of the two. I wouldn't say operating systems, but uh, the, the APIs are certainly more modern in a lot of places. So there are things on OS X that are just more difficult. And if you're coming from an iOS background, you're sometimes left thinking, man, if I were on iOS, this would be super easy, but it's not so easy on OS X. Um, fortunately, there are, there are also a few places where, where the opposite is true, and OS X still makes things easier than they are on iOS. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where to start, because there are quite a few differences. How about just the... Um like maybe the hello world example, like the first thing I notice when I create a new Mac app is I'm used to just getting a view controller for free. And that is kind of absent. You've got a nib and that gives you a main window, but there's really nothing else it gives you. Right. Right. Well, that's actually a great place to start. So on iOS, if you're, if you've done iOS programming, you know that UI view controller is sort of like the main class almost in, in iOS. Every single time you have a view on screen, it has a UI view controller controlling it. On OS X, there is actually an NSView controller class, but that was introduced in 10.5, so relatively recently in the history of OS X. And what that means is that you can write an entire app without using NSView controller. It's not sort of the, the vital class that UI view controller is on, on iOS. And that sort of gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of how you structure your application. But these days, I've actually started using NSView controller more like UI view controller is used on on iOS. So I, I do tend to have an NS view controller, not for every window on screen, but for every sort of logically grouped um, major view in my window. And NS view controller does do the same sort of thing as UI view controller, but it's not nearly as full featured. So it really, really, it knows how to load a view up from a nib and do the memory management of outlets. And, and that's kind of about it. It doesn't have all of the uh, convenience methods that you can override for like view even it doesn't even have view did load but like view did appear and and obviously rotation methods don't apply another thing to know about ns view controller is that it's not in the responder chain so unlike ui view controller you can't implement um, responder chain or methods that you expect to just be called by the responder chain being walked there so if if you wanted to have like a um, say a blue box that you 
Um, I don't know if that would just itself be an NS view or whatever. Uh, and then you click and drag on it. You'd actually have to put the mouse handling code in the view and, that's, yeah, and that's decide correct. to bubble it up to the controller via some sort of event event or delegate system. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So in in NS view, you 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 have the same kind of uh, event handling methods you would find in in UI view. Of course, there are mouse and keyboard handling methods that are more important than than the touch handling methods. Although there are also touch handling methods because we have these multi-touch trackpads and and such on modern Macs. But but you're exactly right. So those have to be implemented in in NS view. And then if you want a responsibility for those to be taken over by the controller, it's completely up to you to figure out how you want to pass those up. And, and typically, I do that by making uh, an NS view controller the delegate of its view. You know, and you create a custom view or um, a custom delegate protocol to to pass those back up and, and do whatever it is that needs to be done with them. I think that's uh, not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, having... I think it was kind of a point of confusion when I was learning at iOS that view controllers would just magically get touch events. Right, and you have to... I mean, it's not magic, of course, but it, I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense conceptually unless you understand the whole responder chain because the touch, of course, is happening conceptually on the view, on the screen, right? And um, But that's the way it's always been on OS X. And in fact, like I said earlier, you don't actually have to to use NS view controller at all if you don't want to. And, and the, the sort of the old way things were done was to have views handle all of their touch handling logic and user interface stuff all in the in the NS view subclass. You'll still find a lot of code that's written that way. And in fact, like you said, if you just create a basic Mac app from the Xcode template, you don't get a view controller at all. Uh, and actually, that kind of annoys me because they, they stuff everything into the app delegate, which we've all heard talked about before, even, even on iOS, but it kind of encourages especially new people to fill up their app delegate with all of their program logic. And, and factoring all that out is completely up to you. The template doesn't even sort of guide you toward the, toward a better approach. So I think I think a discussion of NS View Controller leads to a another class that is pretty important on OS X that doesn't really have an exact counterpart on iOS, but that's NS Window Controller. And I guess I guess in some ways NS Window Controller is sort of more like UI View Controller than than NS View Controller is like UI View Controller, and that's because typically, again, you don't actually have to do it this way, but it is fairly common because NS Window Controller has been around for a long time. But you'll typically have a an NS Window Controller that controls each window on the screen. And a window on the screen is kind of like UI window, except that you can have as many as you want. Your application is not limited to one window at a time. Um, but NS window controller handles loading from a nib and memory management and has like window did load that you can override and um, can handle, has methods to close the window and to show the window and that kind of thing. Uh, so that, that actually becomes a good place to put um, normal controller kinds of code that that are relevant to an entire window. And so a window would be composed of views. And would you have the same sort of uh, window controller containing a child NS view controller? That's yeah. I mean that's that's up to you again because there's a lot more flexibility. But that's typically how I do it. So typically I'll have a an NS window controller and then it has a you know it has a single content view that contains all the subviews for that window. And I'll, I'll gen- I generally actually break, depending on the application, of course, but if it's a fairly complex application, I'll, I'll often break the, the main Windows UI up into multiple NSView controller managed views. Um, we don't, 
OS 10 does not have the parent child view controller stuff that iOS has. So if you're going to, I like that uh, paradigm, but you have to do that yourself. So it's your job to manage adding the child view controller managed views to your main content view and uh, removing them as appropriate and all that. You don't have any of that parent child hierarchy management stuff built in for free. Got it. Um, what about, um, I know that NS views are not layer backed like UI views are. And, um, you know, in, in iPhone, you can, you know, change which layer class you are and you can just assume that there's always a layer. How is that different in Mac programming? So by default, an NS view is not layer backed at all. Uh, unlike, unlike a UI view where they they always have a layer backing them and doing their drawing. Uh, NS view by default does not have a layer, but you, you do have the option to make an, an NS view layer backed. And there's, there's also a second kind of, of layer, layered view that is not on iOS at all, and that's called a layer hosting view. Um, I can talk about that in a minute, but a layer backed NS view is a lot like a, a UI view in that it has a, it always has a layer and you can change the class of that layer and set the same sorts of properties on the layer that you would set on, on UI view. Of course, the methods to do that are not on NS view, so you have to access the, the layer directly. There's no like set background color on an NS view, for example. But otherwise, that, that's fairly similar. It's, it is important to keep in mind though that core animation was tacked onto iOS, or onto OS 10 in 10.5, uh, unlike iOS where it was, it was there from the very beginning and, and a lot of the, you know, the, the very foundation of a lot of the UI kit stuff depends on core animation. That's not really true on, in app kit. So it's a little more of a, an afterthought, not quite as extensively used as you would use it on, on iOS. Uh, another thing I remember reading about, um, I started off uh, learning Objective-C through Aaron Hilligus's Cocoa Programming for Mac OS X, I think third edition book, which was really excellent. But at some point I I realized I was learning, um, or I, I sort of need bridge off that book and start practicing iOS because the, the two were so different. And I remember uh, the biggest difference that I, I first noticed was um, the book used bindings a lot. And I don't know if this is just my experience with doing this sort of thing with Visual Studio in the past uh, and my utter hatred of <laughs> sort of magical connections that uh, make uh, forms over data really easy, but uh, complicated apps a lot harder. Uh, and so I, I wasn't sure if anybody really used bindings and I was, uh, you know, kind of glad that they weren't on iOS because uh, it, it meant that things were a little bit more explicit. So what I mean by that is if you have something like um, I don't know if you have a, a a converter application that converts like uh, units from one format to another. Uh, so you have like you know degrees Fahrenheit to degrees Celsius, and when you change one text box, that it automatically uh, changes the other one. Uh, things like that. Is that something that people use? Um, right. Well, I can I can kind of only speak for myself, but I've I, I really like bindings. I've been using them since um, well, I, I started I started doing OS ten programming. When 10.3 was the the current version, and that was that was also the version that introduced bindings. So they've always been around, but they were sort of new when I started. And I really like them. I use them quite extensively. I know there are people who don't like them for various reasons, but uh, they are certainly one of those things that has a a learning curve associated with them, like core data or something. But to me, the the effort to learn them pays off mm-hmm. in much faster development. In certain cases, I mean, you're right that if you try to do anything too crazy you end up hitting into their limitations. But um, something like a unit converter, like you described, is certainly possible with bindings. And 
I might very well do that with bindings if I were doing that. One of the things that I don't like about that type of system, not that I necessarily don't like, but uh, certainly is a drawback is when you're debugging a something that is going wrong, you can't necessarily put a breakpoint on that. Or maybe you can, but if there's no code to look at, it's very difficult to see like what is actually happening in here. And it may, may very well be that you're just opening up a nib and you accidentally fat finger a checkbox somewhere or one of the, the key paths somewhere and just stuff doesn't work. You know, <laughs> it just seems like a, a, that is a less favorable debugging scenario than like a compile error, for instance, or, or, or something where you can actually set a breakpoint and be like, well, what is the value at this point? Yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe for the benefit of our listeners, we should explain what bindings is, because if you've never used, if you've never done OS X programming, there's a good chance you haven't hit into them. Um, the whole idea with bindings is that you can have uh, something in your model and something in your view, and, you know, so, so say you have a string property in, in your model class, and you have a text box in your view, and, and you just want, anytime somebody types something into the text box, that gets set in the in the string property, and anytime the string property changes... You want to update the text box's contents. In iOS, everybody kind of knows how to do that. It's not that complicated, but you, uh, but you do have to write some code in your controller to take updates from the property and send them to the text box and vice versa. With bindings, you can set that entire thing up in Interface Builder and you don't have to write any controller code at all. In fact, you don't have to write any code. If you have this string property in this text box, you can hook them up with bindings and updates to one or the other will be reflected in the other, like, magically. I think it's important to know when you're dealing with bindings that they're they're actually not magic, even though they seem that way. They're they're built on top of key value observing and key value coding, just like you'd expect. And in fact, those technologies were introduced when bindings came out to support bindings. And I think you're right, though, that uh, that it can be more difficult to debug when you don't have code to look at that you wrote. But on the other hand, bindings, as long as you understand that it's really not not much more complicated than when you set up a binding a KVO observance is being set up. If you look at the error messages you get out of bindings and know that, you can often track the problem down fairly quickly. Because a lot of times the, the problem is like you entered, you, you mistyped the property name, and so you're trying to set a property that doesn't exist on the model object or something. And you'll get an error message that, that tells you pretty clearly that that's what's going on. So with a little bit of experience, I, I actually think debugging is usually not that big of a deal. Uh, there are, of course, trickier cases, and you can you can get part of the way toward debugging those by doing things like, over, you know, creating a custom getter for your property or a custom setter and overriding that and seeing what the you know when that's being called or what's being passed into your setter because those those property methods do get called by the bindings machinery. So, what are some of the the methods used for navigation throughout the application? Do you have something like a navigation controller? Well, that's another good. Another good question. No, uh, there, are, there are a lot of those built-in um, UI view controller subclasses that are part of iOS that are used really heavily for creating your application's user interface structure. Don't exist on OS X, but there are some other there are some other ones or some counterparts that do exist. For example, you do have an NS tab view, which sort of serves the same function as a UI tab view controller. It just has a bunch of child views that it can switch in and out with the tab control at the top, or you can make the tab control invisible and, and do that programmatically. That That's actually sort of a big one. for If you want to do other kinds of navigation, like if you wanted to mimic iOS's navigation controller, you would have to write that yourself or find a project on GitHub. There's nothing built in quite like that. 
there are there are a lot of the other kinds of um, I mean there's an NS table view which is broadly similar to UI table view although it's actually quite a bit more sophisticated in certain ways and then NS scroll view is like UI scroll view it's hard to rattle them off the top of my head but but there are a number of those kind of classes that have pretty pretty close counterparts and the APIs are actually fairly similar like if you've worked with UI table view a lot you won't be sh- shocked to see how NS table view works. Now, I've heard that NS table view creates cells like uh, UI table view does, but these are laid out like a grid, correct? Yeah, that's true. So NS table view doesn't just have rows, it also has columns, and those columns are optionally reorderable, and you can sort by them and, and all of that. So so that's why I say in some ways it's more powerful. One, one more thing to mention about NS table view that will sort of lead us into another discussion about one of the big differences between iOS and OS X is that there are actually two kinds of NS table view. There are cell-based NS table views and view-based NS table views. And cell-based NS table views, which are the original kind that have been around forever, those use an NS cell to draw their contents. They don't, there's not a separate view for each row and column like you would expect if you were coming from iOS. And then there's a view-based NS table view, which was introduced in 10.7. And that does use NS views, or they're actually NS table cell view instances, and there's one per row, and they're handled there there's a, a queue just like on UI table view where when they go off screen they're taken out of the view hierarchy and put in this reuse queue and anyway it works very similarly to UI table view if you're using a view view based NS table view. And when did that get introduced? because uh, I remember reading about the whole conundrum of cells aren't views and it's kind of a pain in the neck. The view based NS table views were came out with, with Lion in twenty eleven, so they're actually still reasonably new, and with the slower adoption rates of OS X updates, you know, there's st- still a fair amount of code out there that targets 10.6. But that that's actually kind of an important thing to note, and that is that NS Table View got this view-based table view to get, get rid of its use of NS cells because they're kind of annoying. But NS cell is still used pretty heavily in a lot of other places in OS X. So, for example, NS Button is... It uses an NS button cell, which is an NS cell subclass to draw itself. And if you're coming from iOS and you're used to making a custom button super easily like you can on iOS, um, you're in for kind of a bit of pain when you try to do that on OS X because to create a custom button on OS X, you actually have to subclass NS button and NS button cell and override the drawing methods. And it's a little bit of a pain. And I think especially when you've never seen NS cell before, it's kind of hard to figure out what the thing's for and why it's there. And why not just have NS buttons be regular views that draw themselves? Anyway, it's that NS cell is kind of a thing that a lot of Mac programmers will complain about a little bit. Um, and have I know auto layout was available on uh, on OS X long before uh, it was, or I guess maybe a year before it was on iOS. Is that something that you take advantage of as well? Uh, actually, I have to admit that I've started like the last five Mac projects I've worked on using Auto Layout, and the problems that were in Interface Builder with using Auto Layout just annoyed me too much, and I ended up turning it off. But as with iOS, they improved that a lot in Xcode 5, so for the next project I start, I, I do plan to use it. But it's essentially identical to iOS. There's really not any major differences. I th- think that's a, I think it's a good thing. I, I just, well, I mean, everybody, everybody's heard about the problems that existed with using auto layout and interface builder and how frustrating of an experience that was before Xcode 5, so that's why I haven't used it. 
So, Andrew, help us get a little bearing about kind of the ecosystem for kind of developing on on Mac. So we're talking Cocoa, right? Absolutely. Cocoa libraries. Yep. I know I've talked to a lot of people that have been doing Mac development for for decades, and a lot of it, what they're doing is like C++. Like, what are some older frameworks that people might run into? Well, I'll get a little bit out of my depth here because I'm definitely a Cocoa programmer, but um, I think... I think the biggest one to know about is that when OS X first came out and they needed to maintain compatibility with these code bases people had that were for the classic Mac OS. And so they created a thing called Carbon, which is a, I, b- I believe it's actually just a pure C API that could be used to, to quickly and easily port apps over from OS 9 to OS 10 and, and still maintain uh, compatibility with OS 9. And Carbon sort of lives on and it's it's getting less and less important, but there it's still not you know still not unheard of to run into some API that's not really available in Cocoa and that you end up having to drop down into Carbon to use. But typically, that those are really small. I mean, you might write like five lines of code that use a Carbon API. And in my experience, it's it's always because I'm running into a problem and I find a Stack Overflow answer or something that tells me to do that. I don't know Carbon well enough to find those solutions myself. So it's really not something that you have to worry about a whole lot anymore. Uh, and, and Carbon is still around, but it's it's deprecated, essentially. They never made it 64-bit compatible, which does not mean you can't u- write 64-bit apps that use little snippets of Carbon, but you can't write an entire Carbon app that's 64-bit. And other than that, I, I think, you know, I think you're not likely to run into a lot of stuff that's unfamiliar. Core Foundation is around, of course, and that's a C API, but same is true on iOS, so... You're not really any more likely to use Core Foundation on OS X than, than on iOS, and it, it has exactly the same APIs as it does on iOS. Okay. Now, I, I had heard that kind of Carbon was not supported with the newest version of OS X. Is that the, the kind of the big thing? You can't do a lot of it, but there's little parts that are still supported? Yeah, I, I can't really say exactly the, the whole scope of, of what's there and what works and what doesn't anymore, but I know there are parts of Carbon that are still around and still used in a lot of apps and definitely still work. I think one thing that kind of points to whether Carbon should be used or not is if you try to go looking for documentation for Carbon, it's actually really quite hard to find. Like if I wanted to learn for some crazy reason how to write a whole app in Carbon, I'm not even sure where I would start. I'd probably go install OS 10.1 or something and (laughs) play around on that. So it's really not something to worry about. Okay, so the Objective-C Cocoa stuff, that started with OS 10. Yeah, well, that's actually interesting. I don't know how many people are, are interested in this kind of thing, but I, I find the, the whole history, well, I find the history of things I use interesting in general, but um, Objective-C actually started a long, long time ago in, in computer terms, back in, in the early 80s and early to mid-80s, and, and Next adopted it, and that, that was Steve Jobs' company after he was forced out of Apple. And when Apple bought Next and decided to, to make their next operating system based on next step, they they got Objective C that way. So Objective C and and the Cocoa frameworks actually have a twenty five year history. The first version or the first Next machines came out in nineteen eighty eight, I think, is when Next Step came out. So you know we're coming up on twenty six years of those APIs, and they've changed a lot and matured uh, even before Apple got them. But uh, so, some of the fundamentals came from that long ago, and so. That kind of helps explain why there are some of these legacy things like NSL, for example, that really don't make sense now, um, or we've figured out better ways to do them. But 
in the next days, they made sense for one reason or another. And, and often that can be explained by a next machine might be 25 megahertz with 16 megs of RAM or something. And so performance was a, was a huge bottleneck, even compared to the first iPhone, that these machines were really slow. I remember reading a discussion about uh, how terrible it would be per- for performance if, if we had a 10 by 10 table view and we had to create 100 views. Like, we're never going to be able to do that. So, Yeah, well, that's exactly why NSL exists. So that, that, that is a, a completely a, an optimization so that you could draw what conceptually were a lot of views on screen without hitting into a huge performance bottleneck. So when you're using it, when, when NSL is used, especially like in a NS table view, there's only one NSL that draws the entire table view's content. So you're not having to create a, a NS view, which is relatively heavy, and add that to the view hierarchy and, and draw it. And NSL is, is a lightweight, quite simple class. Okay, so the NS classes, those come way back from Next Step and yeah, uh, introduced right. into kind of the Apple world in OS X. That, yeah, that's absolutely right. So N- okay. N- NS is abbreviation for next step. It's like the next step developers were like, hey, we know what's going on here. And the Apple developers were like, what is this madness? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought it stood for new shiny. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's, it's old. Uh, yeah, you're right. And there there are some of those next step guys that are still kind of around. Like Will Shipley comes to mind. So he's still a pretty prominent developer in the in the Mac and, and iOS, although he's still mostly a Mac developer, but in, in the community. And he started all the way back in like the early 90s on on Next and wrote some software that really um, was successful. And, and Omni Group, which is a company that he co-founded, they were Next developers that came over and started doing Mac software after transition. Uh, but they've been around doing it for a long, long time. And even Keynote. So Keynote is, I, I can't remember the name of the, of the app, but Keynote really is a evolution of a, an app that started out as a, a next app. So I have a, uh, maybe a sort of a tutorial type question. Um, uh, there's apps that I've seen like that are highly, highly customized and then there are apps that sort of take the, the traditional OS ten look and feel. One app that comes to mind is the Hit List. Have you ever played with this app? No, I don't think so. It's at uh, potionfactory.com and I really, really love this app. It it is similar to Things. It's a to do list manager, but it just has a I don't know. It just has such an attention to detail. Uh, I really, really like it. One of the things it does is um, it has this kind of, and this is pretty standard nowadays. But it has like the left hand. I don't know what you call it, like a tree view. Mm-hmm. And then there's no actual slider. There's just a line in between the two, like the main content pane and then like the left sidebar. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering how much of this type of application is custom. Like, is it starting from scratch or can you take like the, I don't even know what you call it, like UI splitter or something where you have the, you know, some notion of custom drawing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if my question is, is clear. I'm just wondering, like, how would you build something like this or like things if you're more familiar with that app? Yeah, so I, I, I pulled up a screenshot of the hit list, and I haven't seen this app, but the Potion Factory has been around for a long time, and I know about them. They're a great company. Anyway, looking at this screenshot, so over on the left, you've got, you called it a tree view, I think, and that's actually called an outline view in Cocoa terms, but there is actually a built-in class that does that, and just by the look of this, it's not heavily customized. That That's pretty much, what, what you see here is pretty much just available. 
with that built-in class. So NS Outline View is actually a, a subclass of NS Table View, and it has a very similar API, but the difference is that it lets you have a, a hierarchy with collapsible folders and and that sort of thing. Um, and it, it also does not have multiple columns. It might be possible to have multiple columns. I'm not sure. I've never actually tried that. But anyway, so that part that part is all basically built in. And then as far as the, the split splitter goes, that that's also a built-in class called NS Split View. So the part of the UI that you talked about is not custom. You don't really have to write a lot of custom code. You can get pretty much what you see there with just the standard built-in stuff. Um, looking at the app, there are some things in here that are definitely custom code, like the tabs up at the top. There's certainly no fancy tab view like that. There is an NS tab view, but it won't draw tabs that look like that, so you're certainly going to be doing a custom control so, for those. So would you... Um would you be starting with NS tab view and then like taking over drawing or would you, would you end up just writing it yourself? Well, I mean this, this, these tabs act kind of like Chrome. You can drag them. Uh, so I don't, I, I'm guessing that that's just its own. Control. Yeah, absolutely. NS tab view is actually pretty limited and it actually brings up an experience that I had, which is that we, that the app that um, mixed in key just launched a, a couple weeks ago. It's sort of main UI is, is some tabs and we made a custom, tab bar at the top that doesn't look like the built-in one. And that turned out to be, you know, it's not difficult, but it but it's a lot of custom code. And, and if you wanted to do any of the fancy stuff like dragging tabs and being able to create new windows and reordering them, NS tab view does not even sort of get you on the way to that. So you really would be just writing your own. And it's actually something we're thinking about doing for the next version is writing completely our own core animation-based tab view that can do custom transition animations and all that kind of stuff, uh, just because the built-in one is, is actually quite limited. Of course, as with iOS, you look around on GitHub and, and Cocoa Controls and see if you can find something somebody else has done that's good, and oftentimes you can, um, but maybe not as often as with iOS, because there just really aren't as many Mac developers out there as there are iOS developers these days. Right. All right. Well, are there any other differences or gotchas to uh, writing Mac apps that we haven't discussed that uh, somebody who's familiar with iOS would run into? Um, I think we've actually covered a lot of the a lot of the biggest things. I think maybe something that we didn't mention that um, is not really a difference in the APIs, but it's a difference in mindset. Is that you, you should when, when you're writing a Mac app, you should keep in mind that iOS has always been touch driven. For very good reasons, and OS X is not touch-driven; it's mouse-driven, and always has been. And you should keep those kind of differences in mind. And when you design a, you know, say you want to make a Mac version of an app you already have on iOS, um, unless there's a really a really good reason or it really lends itself well, uh, you really ought to rethink the UI when you do an OS X version and um, support the kinds of interactions that that people are used to on a Mac instead of just directly porting your UI over. Because the reason people use Macs when, when iOS is still around is because there are things that are still easier on a Mac with a mouse and keyboard, and, and you want to make it so your app takes advantage of that. You can make things smaller. You can make controls smaller than you can on iOS since they're, you, you've got a more precise input device. Um, you can put a lot more on the screen at one time. And then, of course, I think it's really quite nice in a lot of ways that OS X runs on machines that are still much faster than, than the typical iOS device, so you can get away with really CPU or GPU-intensive things that still are a little difficult on iOS. So I, I work on audio apps, and it's still true that 
for the CPU limited stuff that we do regarding audio, it's just way easier for easier for us to get that to work well on, on a Mac than on, on iOS, which is nice, but take advantage of that. Yeah, developing for keyboard and mouse, it's it's becoming a dying art. It's not yet, but it's on its way. You know, very specialized apps are doing it. Kids are coming up and having no idea why they can't touch the your desktop screen and move stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Why? When you think when you think about like the minimum level of dexterity you would need in your fingers to operate a, a mouse and keyboard, you know, it's kids probably don't start get interested in computers until probably three or four years old. Uh, because like watching a two year old try and use a mouse, it's it's tough. But my kids have uh, my kids are four now. They've been using an iPad since they were like a, under a year old. You know, my son was able to figure out how to unlock the iPhone at about eleven months, and to me, that's amazing. Like uh, he's never known a non-touch interface, and so when he gets on the computer, it's just a little bit foreign to him. It's almost like looking at like a, a telephone with a cord these days, you know. <laughs> Or a phone booth. <laughs> a man you know? interface, you know. Yeah. Well, he sees that on my screen all the time, so that's not quite so foreign. But yeah, but yeah I mean, it, to me, it's, it is kind of amazing. Um, and the other thing that, you know, probably keeps me on iOS more than anything else, and this is true of iPad as well, is that all of a sudden you have like, like way more choices and way more things to do and way more uh, rope to hang yourself with. You know, I, I know what good Mac apps look like, but I don't think I'm good at creating them, or at least in my head, just because there's so many things you could do. And you could, you know, the way you lay things out, you, know, you have this ultimate flexibility. But unless you have like a clear uh, picture in your mind, or if you have maybe a solid designer who knows what they're doing, to me, it's, it's so much di- more difficult to design for than uh, a phone that's 320 points wide, uh, you know. There are only you know four places for buttons, so if you have six buttons in mind, you've got to start thinking of better ideas. And uh, those constraints I find are comfortable for me because uh, it, it allows me to uh, I don't know try to simplify in order to fit in the in in that sort of screen real estate that we have. I think you're right, uh, and there's also a lot more heavily enforced UI paradigms on on iOS. So you know a table view and navigation views and and those things are so much more enforced by the frameworks that it's easier to figure out, well, I, I basically know how this application is going to look and it fits into these paradigms and I know how to do that. And, and it's true that you have have a lot more to come up with on your own on OS X. Um, but I, I like the extra flexibility. Maybe it's just because I started as a Mac developer before iOS and still do more Mac development than iOS development, but um, I feel much less limited when I'm developing for, for OS X. Yeah, if you get extra pixels, put a button in there. And if you run out, just to load up the menu, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I can add keyboard shortcuts. and <laughs> But you got to be careful with that because you still want to, you know, you, some of the same considerations that you would have developing on any platform, but you need to not go overboard. Yeah, you can tell applications that have been around for 20 years and haven't gotten a real, real redesign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, I hate to cut this off, but uh, I know that some of us have some uh, scheduling constraints, so I'm going to push us over into the picks. Ben, do you want to start us off with the picks? So my picks are, uh, the, well, the first one is is called Mastering Modern Payments. It's an ebook. Uh, it's really short, and it covers how to do Stripe integration uh, for 
normals like Stripe stores, like single checkout forms as well as uh, subscriptions. And I've already done this twice, and I still was able to pick up a few tidbits of things that I should be handling. And anyway, it's it's a, a good read worth the $30, $40 or whatever I paid for it. Uh, so that's my first pick. My second one is a fiction book. I'm trying to read more fiction. I'm just really slow at it. My mind tends to wander. Uh, so I'm forcing myself to read more fiction. Uh, the first one I got through this past couple of months was The Doomsday Key by James Rollins. Uh, so if you're into sort of fiction or sort of uh, problem solving in the context of historical fact, I don't know what the genre I'm actually looking for. Uh, historical fiction, maybe. Uh, sort of like uh, maybe Da Vinci Code style books. Uh, th- this was pretty good uh, in that style. And the last one is a video I just watched on. It was, it was more about uh, game development, but this guy was talking about game feel. And it was two things. One, it was a really good presentation in how little tiny uh, details make a game feel so much more playable and fun and enjoyable. And I think the same concepts can be applied to app development. But the other thing I liked about his presentation is it, there were no slides. His his slides, so to speak, were, were actually like playable versions of his game. And so he just advanced to the next sort of evolution of what he added to the game. And he was just playing the game the entire time and advancing it and saying, okay, now I'm adding a little bit of uh, camera lag. So it feels like the camera's you know dragging behind the player and all that. So anyway, a uh, really, really good presentation. Uh, I will link all of those in the show notes. Awesome. Jane, what are your picks? Okay, last week we talked about MVC and how we kind of communicate between kind of controller and model. And I didn't know it at the time, but ObjectC.io has a really good article on the topic. So you can look out, check out communication patterns. It goes over kind of the different methods you can talk to, have any two objects talk to each other. You know, KVO, notifications, delegation, blocks. And if you can't think for yourself, but you can follow a fl- flowchart, it helps. It's got it's got you covered. So if if you, if you want to know which one to do. It's got you covered. So check out the communication patterns in issue 7 of Objective-C.io. My second pick, you've heard about the land shark, right? Don't open the door for the land shark. The lager? That's, well, don't, <laughs> don't drink that lager either. Uh, <laughs> stay away from the land shark. But uh, a couple days ago, the snow shark started kind of blowing up the Twitter feed in Minnesota and I thought, oh, someone made a little snow staff, snow sculpture of a of a shark when I didn't realize it was 15 feet tall and it was done by a couple, so a group of high school kids. So I thought it was pretty cool. We had a we have the snow shark. So I'll, I'll send a link to that, but check it out. Those are my picks. Awesome. Andrew, what are your picks? Uh, I'll, I'll, my picks are kind of themed around our, our topic today. So um, my first pick is Fast Spring. And FastSpring is a is a payment processor um, for for digital goods, but they're but they're used by a lot of Mac developers to sell their apps outside the Mac App Store. And um, I, I use them, and I've used them for I don't know two years now. And uh, having switched from my own solution that was based on you know, well, it was it was a PayPal driven solution, but they do a really good job. I've been very impressed with them in terms of customer support and, and the experience of of buying something using one of their websites. And, and so definitely recommend it if you want to sell your own app outside the Mac App Store. And then my my next pick is just a little script that uh, was released this this week on GitHub, and it's called Obj-C Run, Objective-C Run. And this is just a small shell script, but, w- but what it does is lets you run a, an Objective-C.m 
file with a program in it as if it were sort of like a, you know, like a regular scripting language script on your command line. So Objective-C is the language I work in the most, and it's nice to be able to sometimes write just a little utility that will do something or other that some people might write a Python script or a shell script or something for, but I feel comfortable doing that in Objective-C, and this lets you run your Objective-C file as if it were a script. And then the last is, I, I actually gave a presentation about this topic we had today about Mac OS X for people who are coming from iOS at Cocoa Slopes, which was a conference we had here in Utah a few months back, and my slides and also some example code, particularly re- related to bindings, are on GitHub, so you can check those out. The slides have uh, a lot of presenter notes, so make sure you look at the presenter notes if you're going to look at those. Um, a lot of the information that I gave is, is actually in the presenter notes, and those are my picks. Awesome. Uh, my picks are really simple. The last week I was in Disneyland, so I'm going to pick Disneyland, and I went to New Media Expo, and I'm going to pick New Media Expo. And I'll just put links in the show notes, and you can go check those out if you don't know what they are. And other than that, uh, I guess we're done with the show. So thanks for listening. Hope you have a terrific new year, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. All right, I'm going to go jumpstart my car. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Stay warm.